You guys ready for the sermon? Well, I am super excited to be with you all tonight. I am picking up where Mr. Jeremy left off last week in our sermon series, Set Apart. He did part one, Holy or Nah. How many of you were here last week? He did a great job, didn't he? Come on. He absolutely killed it. So if you guys missed it, you need to make sure you go on to our podcast on iTunes. It's free, and the sermon is there and available. If you weren't here, you can check it out. He did a really phenomenal job, and I'm going to be building on the foundation he laid for us last week. So uh, let's do a quick recap of what he talked about for those of you that weren't here, just to make sure we're all on the same page, and then we'll dive into tonight's message. So uh, Last week, Mr. Jeremy was looking at two questions and answering those questions for us. The first one was, what is holiness? Since that's the topic uh, that we're dealing with in this sermon series. So raise your hand if you remember what holiness, what the definition of holiness was. Um, My man, Caleb, what you got? Different. Okay, that was one he gave. Absolutely. Khalil, what you got, sir? Set apart, okay, absolutely. So, and then there was uh, also moral excellence. That was kind of the di- dictionary definition that he was going off of. All of those are absolutely correct. So, good job, you guys were paying attention. And so, the second uh, question that he dealt with was, "Can I be holy?" And raise your hand. What was the answer to that? Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay, perfect. It was a yes and no situation because he said that the the short answer was no, because he mentioned the scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the long answer was yes, we can be, because God in scripture not only tells us we can be, but he expects us to be holy. And so that kind of left that paradox. He touched on it a little bit. I'm going to be, that's kind of what I'm doing tonight, answering that paradox and kind of making sense of it as well. So The next logical question I have, so we know what holiness is, it's being different, being set apart, and we know that we can be holy and that we're supposed to be holy, so the next logical question I'm asking that it comes to my mind, and hopefully it came to yours, is what does it take for me to be holy? And so I've titled my sermon tonight, What Does It Take?, and we're going to be looking at this question. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dive in. So Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to minister, Lord God. And I just pray that you will move in this place, that you will touch hearts. God, that I will decrease and that you will increase. We need you in this place, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So also a little bit by way of review. So the word set apart, that definition, we get that, as Mr. Jeremy taught you guys last week, from the Greek. Anybody remember what the Greek word was? Oh, it's already up there. Hagios, yes, Hagios. And so we get that. And so, but it didn't, Hagios doesn't just mean set apart. It means set apart for God or to God, as it were, to be exclusively his. So you see, God is a key component of being set apart. So, and in fact, it, you can't, you and I, we cannot be holy on our own, John. It's impossible for us to be holy apart from God. So he has to be in the equation for us to be holy. Just to make sure you guys are tracking with me. So I've got two statements here on the board. So statement A, I want you to tell me which one is true. Statement A, something is holy when it is set apart 
Or statement B, something is holy when it's set apart to God. Which statement is true, A or B? Just yell it out. There you go. Statement B. Very good. So you guys are tracking with me on this. Very good. So again, back to our question. What does it take for me to be holy? What does it take for me to be set apart to God? And so I will actually, Mr. Jeremy left this as a small group question to get you guys thinking about it already. So last week you all met if you were here. So I'd love to get some answers. Somebody, so somebody raise your hand and uh, tell me what you think the answer to this question is. What does it take for me to be holy? Jen. Okay, so to, to be reading the Word of God on a regular basis. Very good. Khalil? Okay, very good. Spiritual disciplines. Um, Hannah? Mm, getting closer to God and a willingness to be different. Uh, last one, Reuben. You said being set apart from the world. Okay, okay, very good. And so these are great answers that you guys are throwing out. So the answer that I feel the Holy Spirit has given to me and kind of the whole purpose of tonight's message is this right here. What does it take for you and me to be holy? Relationship, holiness requires relationship. Let's say this together. Holiness requires relationship. That was very good. Let's say it one more time. Holiness requires relationship. Very good. So holiness, it is often viewed like some of what you guys were saying as what you do or even what you don't do. But actually what I'm positing to you guys today is that holiness is about being in a relationship, and obviously not any relationship, but a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to um, use my wife uh, my relationship with my wife is an analogy, which is, and she's in the place today. Say hey, everybody, as well as my parents. <laughs> so, um, which is very fitting to use this relationship since if you guys are saved, then the, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. But when Sabrina and I got married, we um, essentially became holy to each other. Because if you remember the definition, it is set apart to someone. So, um, I declared when I got married that I was in a relationship with her and only her as far as covenant of marriage goes. And so she did the same for me. So now that she's married, if a guy is to come up to her and be flirting with her and trying to get her number, then she has to tell him that she is married, that she's already in a relationship, that she's not available. But before, like if she was single and I was single, the guy came up to her, it wouldn't matter. She could, you know, get the guy's number, go out with him, whatever. It wouldn't matter. But because we're married, she, we are set apart to one another. We are holy to each other. And so now her behavior with this imaginary guy, it was different, wasn't it? Yeah, she told the guy no. <laughs> and so <laughs> as opposed to saying yes, she would go out with him. And, but it was different because she was acting out of relationship. She wasn't thinking to herself, oh man, I'm married and I need to be a good wife and Tony really wouldn't like it if I went out with this guy. So I guess I just need to tell him no so I can be holy, right? That's not what would have been going through her head. Instead, it would have been, I love my husband 
and I value my relationship with him, and I don't want to be with anyone else or do anything that would endanger that relationship. Yeah, dragon. Okay, good. <laughs> so let's say together. Holiness requires relationship. Holiness requires relationship. So, but again, so the relationship is kind of the key point I'm driving home here. But again, it does relate to behavior. Holiness does. But the behavior is altered as a result of the relationship. We aren't supposed to try and fix our behavior apart from being in a passionate relationship with Jesus. Let's look at a couple scriptures that talk about this. So in Romans 6.22, it says, Paul writes, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So the phrases I have underlined, set free from sin and become slaves of God, these are phrases that relate to salvation, relate to being in a relationship with God. And then Paul says that the benefit we reap from being saved is holiness. So what does Paul say came first in this verse? The salvation, the relationship, or the holiness? The salvation, the relationship, absolutely. It says the benefit we reap from being saved is holiness. Let's look at the next verse. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this was a verse that actually intimidated me uh, every time I read it before because I'm a rule follower. I actually like the rules. Any other people in here like the rules and like following the rules? There's a few of you guys in here. Not many. Not many. God bless you. God bless your souls, my compadres. So, um, but I actually like uh, the rules and like following, but I was always reading this verse through that lens, and so I was seeing it as... I have to prove my love for Jesus by following his commandments. But the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse as I was preparing for this sermon and showed me that what it's really saying is that because I love Jesus, I will follow his commandments. Because of that relationship, because I have that love for him, the result will be I will obey him. I will do his commandments. You guys see that? Let's turn to your neighbor and say, holiness requires relationship. <laughs> so let's do a quick recap. I think you guys are tracking with me, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So the question we're answering tonight is, what does it take for you and me, Dalton, to be holy? That's the question we're looking at. And then the answer is, as you all just said, holiness requires relationship. Okay, so... We can't be holy on our own. God has to be in it. You have to be set apart to him, to Jesus. And out of the overflow of that passionate relationship, holiness is the result. So some of you guys might be wondering at this point, this question. What about when someone has a relationship, but they aren't walking in a lot of holiness? I think we've seen this in other people tons of times. And honestly, we've seen it in ourselves a lot, if we're really honest. We have a relationship with Jesus, but how many would say you're as holy as you think you should be? Nobody, right? So, why is this? And for your handouts and on the board, the response I have to that question is, the degree of your relationship equals the degree of holiness you will walk in. And so, what this is saying how passionate your relationship with Jesus is, is going to determine 
how much holiness you have. You see, if you're only a little bit passionate in your relationship with Jesus, then you're probably only going to have a little bit of holiness in your life. But if you're very passionate about your relationship with Jesus, very sold out and committed for him, then the byproduct of that relationship, because you love him, you'll follow his commandments. Holiness, your behavior will be different. Amen? And so, how do you, then the question is, well, how do you diagnose how passionate your relationship is? I believe that the way to diagnose how passionate your relationship is how much you're spending time with him. How much are you in the word? How much are you in prayer? You see, because if you're, pa- you, we know this intuitively, if we're passionate about our relationship, we invest in it. We spend time with that person. But could you really say that you're passionate and you care about a relationship if you don't spend any time with them or just, you know, every now and again? You see, when I was, Sabrina and I were dating, I absolutely hated the fact that we only got to go on a date together once a week. And because our schedules, we were busy with work and school and everything, and there were even weeks where we couldn't go on our once-a-week date. We were so busy. I longed for the day when we would be married so that we could spend time together with each other every single day. And that's the same thing it is with my relationship with Jesus. You see, I have to spend time with him every day because I love him, because I'm passionate about him. So you guys see that? It's the same thing there. I can't handle only being in his presence once a week when I'm at church. I can't do it. I can't survive without his presence. And something else kind of funny happened in my relationship with Sabrina. The more I spent time with her, the more I got to know her. It seems to make sense, right? And the more that I got to know her, the more I began to learn her likes and her dislikes, and then my behavior changed accordingly. We dated for almost three years, and we've been married, at this point, almost three months. And I learned more about her in those three months than I did probably in the entire time of our three years of dating. Why? Because I was spending more time with her every single day. I was getting to know her, living life with her, as opposed to a a once-a-week date, a a once-a-week phone call, whatever. And so I got some funny stories I'm going to share with you guys real quick on this to illustrate this point. So... Before we got married, I hung up my bath towel in a way that made perfectly good sense to me. It, it made perfectly good sense to me. I thought it, wor- it worked, kept the thing dry, it, was, it wasn't on the floor. But my wife told me after we got married, I was doing it wrong. It wasn't, wasn't pretty, it wasn't folded properly. So she taught me how to do it, and now the bath towel is folded and hung. So the way she likes it, my behavior changed. Now, I could have, you know... Been like, nah, I ain't doing this, but, you know, I love my wife. I want to serve her. (laughs) Changed. So, um, to meet her likes. All right, I grew up. It was just me and my brother. We shared a bathroom. Leaving the toilet seat up, not a big deal. (laughs) Here in the office, I, you know, it's all guys during the weekdays. Leaving the toilet seat up, not a big deal. Got married, big deal. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, she asked me put it down, and she had to get on to me several times, but I finally got to have it down, and we're good. Praise the Lord. And then one, la- <laughs> one last story. So you, I did not know in the whole three years of dating Sabrina that she loved potato chips. Absolutely loves them. You would think I would figure that out. I even like made a list of food that she really likes, and somehow I think it missed the list. So 
She, I didn't know that. But then when we got married, I'd, we went shopping, picked up some chips. She go, go, likes to pack a lunch with her when she goes to work. And so she puts some potato chips in there. She comes home, likes to snack on them if she's a little hungry before dinner, whatever. So I quickly learned that my wife loved potato chips. And so as a result of that, guess what? Now when I go to the grocery store, if it's on the list, I'm picking up potato chips. I personally don't care that much for regular Lay's potato chips. I, there's many chips that are better to me but I buy them for her because she wants them. So, and so the point, and guys, these were all good tips. I hope you were taking really good notes on this for when you get married, some of these things are universal. The potato chips might not be. I don't know, ladies, is potato chips universal like? I don't know, but anyway, good tips, good practical wisdom. Say amen. All the married men said amen. All right, so, but a quick Quick recap again, all this is saying that the more that I spent time with Sabrina, the more I got to know her. And the more I got to know her, the more my behavior began to change to meet her likes and her dislikes. It's the same thing with God. The more you spend time with him, the more that you're in the word, the more that you're in prayer, the more you're going to get to know him. And the more your behavior is going to shift because, you know, because you're just so in love with him. You're so focused on him. That the things of the world that you shouldn't be doing, they're just, they no longer have that attraction. And you don't want to hurt your love. You don't want to hurt your king. Amen? So, the question that we've been answering tonight, what does it take for me to be holy? The answer is, let's say it together one more time, holiness requires relationship. I want to close by reading you all a poem and uh, it's written by a woman named Susan Cook in 2011. She's not a Christian to my knowledge, and she's not even necessarily a famous poet, but I found it online, and it's called What Does It Take? It flowed uh, perfectly with my sermon, a quick note since this is a poem. She's using um, a metaphor throughout the poem of jumping off of a cliff. So it's a metaphor. She's not literally talking about jumping off a cliff, but in, she's using that as a metaphor for being in a relationship and choosing, choosing to be in that relationship, it, choosing to love instead of choosing fear, isolation, what feels like safety, not being in the relationship. So I'm going to go ahead and read this for you guys. What does it take to follow our love? What does it take to jump off that cliff? Sheer faith, sheer passion, sheer courage. When are we ready? Time, sand, and footsteps the passage of moments each moment. In that one moment we jump, we are changed forever. It takes one moment to change a life. Time, what does it take for the time to be? We whirl in the possibilities of the universe, each moment offering a different path. How we choose is lost in the fog of consciousness. Do we choose with our heart or with our fear? Choose with fear and we deny our true spirit. Choose with our heart and we follow our true path. Will you ever come? Will you ever jump? Will you ever have the courage to follow your own path? Will you ever come, my love? The cliff is high. The drop is steep. The fear is great. But to stay on the edge is fear more than jumping. Slowly, you will, deny, you will die. Slowly, you will deny your true self. You will bury your reactions, close your heart, and lose your soul. You will die one day anyway. Why not live a death? What do you deserve? What are you frightened of? Betrayal, pain, hurt? 
You've made that already. We all need to feel right. Good. I understand. But we all need to be free too. Unchained, unburdened, and uncovered. Holiness requires relationship. And I believe that this poem is an invitation from Jesus. This could be from Jesus. Asking you all, are you willing to be in a relationship with him? Are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to jump off that cliff of uncertainty, so to speak? I know that there might not be many of you. This, this might not apply to anyone in this place, but I just want to give the offer. There may be some, someone in this place, and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never made that commitment. You've never made him Lord. Or maybe there's some of you in this place, and as I've been talking about being in a passionate relationship with Jesus, you know that that's not you. Maybe you prayed a prayer one day, but maybe you've never made that step to be in a relationship with him. But everybody would uh, close your eyes. My leaders, if you would come to the front to be prepared to minister. Now, I want to be clear, with every uh, head, head bowed, every eye closed, this is not necessarily, I'm not asking you to commit your life right now. I believe you need to research Jesus. And these leaders up here are available to help you do that. But if that's you in this place, I want to ask you to be bold. Would you raise your hand with every head bowed and eye closed? Is there anyone in here tonight? All right. Thank you, Father. All right, you guys can open your eyes. I'm going to speak to the next group. So everybody seemed to say that they're in a relationship with Jesus, and I believe you guys in that, that you are. But the second kind of topic we discussed tonight, maybe the second part of this equation is how holy are you? How holy is your lifestyle right now? And if we were to compare your life to an unsafe teenager, would we be able to tell a difference? Or would the things that you say and that you do and that you watch and your attitudes and your mindsets, would they essentially be the same? And if your answer to that is, it's probably not much difference, then even though you have a relationship, probably not that passionate about it. You're probably not spending time with him, not being in the word and in prayer like you should. And I have good news though. There's an opportunity right here, right now tonight for you to fix this. And the fix for this is to be discipled. So these leaders are available. I want everybody to bow your head, close your eyes. If you are saying that you are not, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're not passionate about him like you should. You're not in the word and praying like you should, and you are ready to take the next step to be discipled. Would you raise your hand right now? Hands going up all over the place. Praise God. Go ahead. I want you to be bold with head still bowed, eyes still closed. I want you to stand to your feet if you raise your hand if that's you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. This is for you. If you're ready to go to the next step to be discipled, you want to take your relationship with Jesus to the next level. Praise God. All right, with head still bowed, eyes still closed, come to the front, and I want you to specifically try to get with your tribe leader, your small group leader, if they are available. And they're going to talk with you about a short course and talk about the one-year challenge, whatever suits your particular needs. So come right now with head still bowed, eyes still closed. 
If you're standing right now, come to your leader. Come find your leader if they're available.